are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host again today uh, is the outreach manager for the Point Cabrillo Lightkeepers Association, Jen Lewis. Hi, Jen. Hi, Jeremy. Happy to be back. Yeah, you were just uh, co-hosting, what, three or four weeks ago, maybe? Something like that? I think that's right. I love I love being here and chatting with you guys. Well, it's always a pleasure. So today is February 25th, 2024, and this is episode 266 of Lighthearted. We spent uh, a lot of time on the West Coast recently. The uh, episode you recently co-hosted was Point Loma Lighthouse in San Diego. Today is no exception. We're going to be back on the West Coast. Our topic today is St. George Reef Lighthouse off the coast of Northern California. And you're actually doing double duty today, Jen, because you're co-hosting, but you also took part in the interview. I sure did. I I really love uh, I love the person that we talked to, and the, the St. George Reef Lighthouse is such a cool one. So I feel really lucky to be able to talk about it more. I don't want to say too much, you know, starting out here because you say some wonderful things in the uh, interview. So want to save some of it for that. St. George Reef uh, looks like a really amazing place. You know, I know you have some personal experience with it, and we're going to hear about that. I know it's a, a really special place to you. Absolutely. Yeah. I think people are going to really love this episode. I think so too. Am I correct in assuming that Point Cabrillo Lighthouse, the one that you uh, work for or at, is your favorite California lighthouse? And St. George Reef might be your second favorite. Would that be accurate? That would absolutely be accurate. There are so many incredible lighthouses on the West Coast uh, and in California, but those two, those two take my top two spots for sure. You do have beautiful coastline out there. The Northern California coast up through the Oregon coastline is spectacular, and there's some great lighthouses there. But we also need to get you out here so you can experience some of our New England lighthouses. Uh, It's different. You know, I can't pick one coast over the other. They're both beautiful in their own way. Totally. That's been that's been a bucket list trip for me for a long time. There's a lot of lighthouses out there that I've been dreaming of visiting. So hopefully I'll get out your way sometime soon. I hope so. Yeah, I know you'd enjoy it. So I want to get to the interview. Uh, Jen, please help me introduce it. Sure thing. The seas off the Northern California coast are notoriously rough and no area is more treacherous than St. George Reef, which is the tip of a submerged volcanic mountain about six miles offshore. One of the West Coast's worst shipwrecks occurred on the reef in July of 1865 when the steamship Brother Jonathan sank, taking 225 lives and a shipment of gold with it. Spurred by the disaster, the Lighthouse Board proposed a lighthouse at St. George Reef in 1867, and construction began in 1883. It took nine years to complete the massive 90-foot-tall granite tower on top of a 50-foot-tall base. A powerful first-order Fresnel lens was installed, and the lighthouse began service on October 20, 1892. When the station began operation, it was staffed by five keepers, a principal keeper and four assistants. The station wasn't merely miserable, it was dangerous. Five keepers lost their lives on duty over the years. After a large navigational buoy was positioned nearby in 1975, the light station was discontinued and the crew was removed. The St. George Reef Preservation Society was formed in 1988 for the purpose of restoring and maintaining the lighthouse. Ownership later passed to Del Norte County, and a lease was granted to the Preservation Society. The magnificent First Order Fresnel lens from St. George Reef is on display at the Del Norte Historical Society Museum in Crescent City. 
The St. George Reef Preservation Society has been gradually restoring the lighthouse, and they have provided public tours via helicopter. Those tours are something you've been part of, of course, Jen. We talked about that in the interview. Uh, again, I want to save it for the interview, so hold, you can kind of bite your tongue for the moment. But uh, Featured along with you in this conversation is John Zimmerman, president of the St. George Reef Preservation Society. We had some technical issues with the audio, but thanks to your quick thinking, uh, you saved the day and we were able to record John over the phone. I'm so glad we were able to make that work because our conversation is so incredible and it, I really think your listeners are going to love this one. Yes, yes. But people might notice the sound quality is different uh, between you and John because, again, we're hearing him over the phone and you through Zoom. So let's listen to our conversation about St. George Reef Lighthouse now. I'm talking today with two guests. We have John Zimmerman, who is the president of the St. George Reef Preservation Society, and also joining us is Jen Lewis, uh, outreach manager for the Point Cabrillo Lighthouse in Northern California, and somebody who's familiar to listeners to this podcast. So thank you both very much for being with me today. Happy to be here again. So John, let me let me start with you. And before we get into some uh, the history of the lighthouse and about tours and so forth, how did you become involved with St. George Reef Lighthouse? I was a volunteer and on the board of directors at East Brother Island Lighthouse from 1984 to uh, 2004. And um, I learned of uh, guide towers, uh, uh, working on the restoration out of the St. George Reef, and I gave him a call, and we had a long talk, and got to be friends, and in 2002, I was able to fly out to the lighthouse and be out there when they relit it. I left the board of East Brother in 2004. I was quite a ways away, and I, I really couldn't stay involved anymore. I lived in Sonoma County, and then after I retired uh, in uh, 2018, I moved up to Brookings and uh, got a hold of Guy and got involved with St. George Reef. And I told him I didn't want to be on the board, but I wanted to swing a paintbrush. <laughs> well, you can see how that worked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it'll it'll take over if you're not not careful, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But I want to talk more about Guy in a little while. But I also want to mention that we're talking on Zoom, but John is joining us via phone. So if people listening, the sound quality will seem different between uh, John and Jen. That's that's why. Jen, let me uh, ask you. I know, obviously, Point Cabrillo Lighthouse, your your home base, uh, is uh, number one in your heart. But I also know you have a, a special interest in St. George Reef. Yeah, so obviously St. George Reef is is such an incredible such an incredible lighthouse and so I've always been interested in it for a long long time. Um but one of the reasons that I really got especially interested was because our first head keeper here at Point Cabrillo was Wilhelm Baumgartner and his first role with the US Lighthouse Service was actually at St. George Reef. So that's where he started his uh, lightkeeping career was at the St. George Reef Lighthouse in 1904 and 1905. And he served at a couple other lighthouses before coming to Point Cabrillo and spending the rest of his life here at my lighthouse. Um, but that that just really built up a lot of interest in St. George Reef for me. And also just driving through Crescent City so many times and being able to visit that little museum there and view that incredible, incredible Fresnel lens is uh, is such a treat every time I get the chance to drive up the coastline. So St. George Reef is a really special lighthouse, and I think people are going to be really excited to learn all about it. Before we talk more about preservation and tours, let's get into the history of, of the lighthouse a little bit. So why, uh, in the first place, was uh, a lighthouse needed at St. George Reef? 
Well, in 1865, uh, the brother Jonathan wrecked on uh, the reef. It wasn't on uh, Northwest Seal Rock where the lighthouse is built, but it was on another obstruction um, southeast of there. I think they now call it Jonathan Rock. But there have been several wrecks in that vicinity. Uh, Battery Point Lighthouse, which is not far away from St. George Reef, is a uh, uh, bay light, and uh, there are areas that that lighthouse simply uh, can't cover with its uh, its light. It's more of a, a harbor and a bay light. Uh, St. George Reef, the obstruction, uh, the Dragon Rocks uh, run six and a half miles from Point St. George uh, to the bitter end where Northwest Seal Rock and the lighthouse now stands. In those days, the uh, shipping lanes were uh, much more close to shore than they are today. The whole reef was was a real menace to shipping. So, John, you just mentioned uh, Battery Point Lighthouse. When I think of those two lighthouses, Battery Point and St. George Reef, it kind of calls to mind the the saying in the French lighthouse service that they traditionally used, on fair, a parody, hell and heaven, meaning the, uh, you know, St. George Reef would definitely fall into the hell category for keepers as a place to live. Battery Point would be more of a heaven-type lighthouse, even though it's on an island that's separated uh, from the mainland at high tide, but very, very different uh, way of life at those two places. So that that came to mind when I was thinking about them. Well, so. there's a segue into a story I'll tell you later that a lighthouse keeper in St. George told me that Jen actually heard him tell her on the phone. I'll tell okay. you about that lighthouse. Excellent. Yeah, well, uh, this is a wait just to minute or two here to get into the more stories of the keepers there. Construction for St. George Reef Lighthouse started in 1883, but it took uh, in the neighborhood of nine years for it to be completed. Also, it was the most expensive lighthouse uh, up to that time in the country. Why did it take so long to build? What was so difficult about it? Members wouldn't appropriate money or appropriate enough. Alexander Ballantyne, who was the engineer, had to make decisions on, on what monies he received and how best to utilize it. Sometimes he worked shoreside and with the uh, quarry uh, uh, buildings, working on the stonework and so forth to be shipped out there. The problem was when once you went out there, you were burning through a lot of money on a daily basis. Uh, if you're only being appropriated, you know, fifteen or twenty thousand dollars, which in those days was big money, but it wasn't enough to really do a whole lot off the lighthouse. They would do a lot of work shoreside. Um, there were some years they weren't appropriated any money and had to shut down the operations. And they go back out there and they had to do a lot of cleanup work before they resumed work. Uh, also, the quarry there was a major rainstorm one year and it uh, shut the quarry down because of uh, mudslides and so forth. They had to clean all that up. Uh, there's a great explanation of all this in uh, Sentinels of the Seas by uh, a man by the name of Powers that uh, uh, goes into the uh, the delays, which there are many. In fact, I was reading on the, rereading it the other night. The actual time that they spent building that lighthouse out of the from 1882 when they they, they first uh, went out there and surveyed it to uh, 1891 when they. Uh, finished the lighthouse except for putting in the lens, which hadn't arrived yet, and they were running the foghorn. Uh, out of those nine years, probably they worked three. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I really did any amount of work. Now, that's a guess on my part, but I don't think I'm far off. The caisson was completed um, after the, the eighth year, and, and the ninth year, they built the tower in less than a year. Glad you mentioned the book uh, Sentinel of the Sea by Dennis Powers. I have it right next to me here, and it is a, a excellent account of all this. Anything notable about its architecture? 
Well, not that I know of. It is a very unique lighthouse in this country. You could compare it to some of the lighthouses in uh, Brittany and France or um, mm-hmm. Scottish lighthouses that the Stevenson family built. I'm glad you brought that up. I hadn't really thought about that, but you're right. That and I think some of the, a few of the lighthouses off the Brittany coast of France are, are somewhat similar, I think. And I think those lighthouses were tougher to build than St. George, to be honest with you. Yeah, and that's saying a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yes. To, so uh, let's get into the human history. How many keepers were assigned to the lighthouse? And how many were typically on the station at one time? I imagine they had like a rotation where they get shore leave. There were two lighthouses on the West Coast, to my knowledge, that were five, what they called five keeper lights. So Muck Rock and St. George, they had four on and one off. That went on for many, many years, particularly in the early days, uh, you know, when the lighthouse service operated the light, the lighthouse because they had to not only stand watches, but uh, wind the clockwork mechanism in order to uh, revolve the light, as we all know how that works. John Gibbons, who uh, Jim got to talk to on the phone, I asked him when he was out there in 1953 to 1956, how many keepers were assigned to the lighthouse at that time? And he said three. So it is probably more to the point it was a four-keeper light with three on and one off. So by that time, things were uh, easier, and they didn't require as many people out there as they did uh, in the early days. I know uh, in this part of the, the world, there's a lighthouse near where I live here, Whaleback Lighthouse, another what you might call wave-washed, wave-swept type lighthouse, a Granite Tower. Um, I knew one of the last Coast Guard keepers there, and he said in when he was there in the early, around 1960, it was, I think, 29 days on and six days off. I don't know if it was something similar to that, maybe at St. George Reef. He was two weeks off and four weeks on, but I would I would need to double check with Jimmy. Uh, part of his off time, he would be working at other lighthouses. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, he made a visit to Bon Cabrillo on his 21st birthday to visit the lighthouse keeper down there. But he would go and uh, work on um, other lighthouses. As I recall, Cape Mendocino was one of them. Crescent City or Battery Point Lighthouse was another one where they'd do some maintenance work. It mm-hmm. also worked at the Coast Guard based on in Eureka. Jen, that must have been exciting talking to him on the phone. Absolutely. It's always so fun to talk to the folks who got to live at these stations back in the day. I mean, what an incredible stories that I was able to hear from him. He was it was very, very fun to talk to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like finding treasure when you talk to these people. Mm-hmm. So what was life like in general there? It takes a special brand of person to uh, to be at that lighthouse. Now, John Gibbons, who we're talking about, we all called Gibby, that Jen got to talk to, he was there for a year, and he went to on the Lime Point Lighthouse in the north end of uh, Golden Gate Bridge, and he didn't like it, and he asked to go back to St. George. And that is very unusual. There's a, there's a lot of people, both St. George and Tomac Rock, they couldn't keep keepers out there. In fact... Uh, one of the authors that you may know of, uh, Jim Gibbs, who I actually had the privilege of exchanging some mail and uh, talked to on the phone before he passed, told me that when he was keeper out there in 1946, all the other keepers were lighthouse service people. They couldn't get a uh, a uh, cozy out there. They didn't want to bounce that lighthouse. Mm-hmm. And so he was kind of the odd man out when he was a uh, light keeper out there. He maybe uh, he's told me a lot of horror stories about storms when we go out and work on the uh, the diaphone five signal and the waves are breaking over the case on he tie a rope around himself so that the guys could pull him in if he fell over the side. <laughs> huh. 
Wow. He also told me during major storms when the waves were actually breaking over the uh, tower, over the over the the lantern room, when the, they knocked uh, the lantern glass out, that the water was running down the stairs like a waterfall. And he Unbelievable. said the sides of the building was sweat, and the building would just shake with these waves pounding the side of it. Makes a believer out of you, I'll tell you. Unbelievable. Can you remind me how, what is the focal plane? How high above the water is the light? 146 feet. 146 feet. That is absolutely incredible. There's some big Um, waves. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I've seen uh, waves at lighthouses here on the East Coast, like Minot's Ledge you mentioned earlier. It's uh, over 100 feet tall, and you'll see waves hit the rocks and explode over the top of the lighthouse. But St. George Reef is in, even higher. It's just absolutely incredible, the, the power of the ocean. And you've mentioned a few times, uh, John, you mentioned Tillamook Rock Lighthouse in Oregon, uh, very famous, one of the most famous wave swept type lighthouses in the country. And uh, Jim Gibbs was a, a keeper there. And uh, I noticed in your email address that Tillamook Rock is part of your email address. So I figured it had, it had some special meaning to you. That was uh, my genesis of uh, getting involved with lighthouses. Uh, my cousin owned a place down in Cannon Beach. And we used to go down there every spring vacation. And uh, Tillamook Rock was right offshore there. And that's what got me started when I was a kid. In fact, I can never remember not being interested in lighthouses. And I'm 67 now, so that's a lot of years. It, it, it's a very interesting uh, a lighthouse to study. And, of course, that got me into, into all the other lighthouses as well. And uh, there's not one of them that isn't worth saving and preserving for our country's history. But uh, believe it or not, I think Tillamook was a rougher lighthouse to uh, man than uh, St. George was. I mean, they get ways over that lighthouse a lot more often it isn't that much lower and they've sustained a lot more damage out there than st george reef has well i didn't call it terrible tilly for nothing but i would say there were definitely two of the the uh most remote most uh difficult you know challenging places for for keepers uh another thing i was wondering uh usually when you research the history of a place like this any any offshore uh, lighthouse, these types of places, there's usually at least a tragedy or two in there in the history, and I imagine that's the case with St. George Reef. Is that the case? Yeah, there, uh, there's uh, obviously the 1952, uh, I think it was 1952, where they, a rogue wave uh, caught one of the launches when they were lowering it to the, to the uh, water, and it killed three Coast Guardsmen. Also, uh, I think it was George Rowe, who was a keeper there for almost a quarter century he was in his early 60s he went to shore on leave and uh his leave was up and he motored out to the lighthouse this is when they still used launches and he got it was very rough going going out to the reef from uh, crescent city and uh they tried to pull him out of the water but he they they couldn't get a hook on the uh, the boat and he got battered around a lot in the boat and he finally after several hours of trying to to get pulled out and he finally had to turn around and go all the way back to Crescent City and uh, he was so beat up by the time he got to the uh, harbor they pulled him out to the hospital and he died there he, uh, from exposure and and uh, I believe pneumonia kind of a way to end a stellar career but uh, yeah it's a, it's a rough one and John Gibbons who I talked to talked to you about uh, when he was 18 years old the first one I was at the lighthouse uh, you had to hook yourself on to the uh, to the boom to get pulled out of the boat, and uh, he unhooked himself. And before he could 
get situated. The boat went out from under him and he was hanging by on the hoof with his arms, holding on for dear life. And they said, hold on, hold on, we'll get the boat back under, underneath you. And he said he, he darn near lost his grip and went into the Pacific. Wow. I was going to say, when you're talking about these incidents, I'm thinking there's much, much, probably many other close calls and that would be one of them. Uh, yeah. And I was also wondering how they got on and off. So that's pretty incredible. There's a lighthouse in Maine, uh, north of me here, Saddleback Ledge, where they used to use like a hoist to ho- pick people off off the boats and hoist them onto the place. So that's basically how they did it most of the time. Is that right? Yeah. So that was the only way to do it. It wasn't yeah. safe to go any other way. And both Tillamook Rock and I think the Furlong Islands and St. George uh, utilized a, a derrick boom to pull people on and off of the uh, vessels you know, to get on the lighthouse. Uh, so before we move on to other things, um, anything you want to add, anything we haven't touched on related to the human history, any especially interesting stories of life there that we haven't touched on? John Gibbons, who I keep referring to, uh, was uh, born and raised in Colorado, and he joined the uh, Coast Guard. And when he came out, he'd never seen a lighthouse. He came out to Alameda, and uh, he they had uh, posted the, a lighthouse position in Portland, Oregon, which other than Kelly Point, which I don't think was manned at that time. There was really no lighthouses up there. But anyway, he, he, he posted for the job, ended up being St. George Reef. He gets on a bus, goes up to Crescent City, and there's a solar station where they would uh, house pers- lighthouse personnel for St. George Reef out of Point St. George. So he, he comes down in the uh, in the bus and he sees Barry Point offshore and he goes, oh, this will be great near to town and so forth. And he goes out to the keeper's quarters there on Point St. George and asked the fellow that uh, was uh, there. He said, why am I sitting here with the lighthouse? It's just a few, uh, you know, half a mile away. And he said, you're not going there. And he said, well, where am I going? And he says, you see that speck out there on the horizon? <laughs> And they handed him the field glasses, and he looks at it, and he said, he mouth just dropped. Anyway, the next day, they put him on a launch, and it's very, very foggy, and they're on the radio letting the uh, people out of the lighthouse know when they're going to arrive, uh, where they go by Star Rock, and then the Southwest Seal, you know, 15 minutes will be out at Northwest Seal Rock. He said, out of the fog, he said it looked like Dracula's castle when he went into it. Well, he said he just he said he thought he died and gone to hell. <laughs> he really loved it out there. He, he really enjoyed his time out there. And uh, he and Bob Hatmeister, who is also a coastie that lives in Colorado, they live within a, a few miles of each other. They served together out at St. George Reef. Bob wanted to go out there to, to uh, you know be with uh, with uh, Gibby because they were friends and. Uh, that they're both past ninety, and that's all they talk about is their the times they were out at St. George Reef Lighthouse. So that that speaks loudly about their experiences out there. Uh, that would have to be a very memorable part of their their lives. I went and interviewed them in Colorado about a year and a half ago, almost two years. It was such an honor and a joy to talk to them about their experiences, and I was uh, fortunate in that I was able to record those interviews. And I'm hoping to go back because they are getting you know, up in years. And uh, they always come up with another story that I hadn't heard before. So it's, it's fun to talk with them. I'll bet. Yeah. No, I, I know what you're, you're saying. It's uh it's a rare privilege to get to record the memories of people like that. So uh, it's good work uh, doing that for sure. So let's uh, move ahead more uh, towards the present day. And 
Can you tell me about when and how the St. George Reef Preservation Society was formed? Guy Towers and his wife, Alice, started the society in 1986. He had uh, actually hiked down to Point of Corner Lighthouse uh, and seen that. That was kind of his genesis of getting interested in lighthouses. And he had read somewhere that uh, St. George was going to go on the auction block, that the, the government was going to dispose of it. And he partnered with uh, several uh, people in uh, Crescent City. One was the late Bob Bolin, Jim and uh, Marilyn McLaughlin, and uh, later on, Terry McNamara. And uh, they got a group together. And uh, it took 10 years. It took guy 10 years to go through all the paperwork with the federal government, the county, state, different agencies, in order to, uh, to gain access out there. But in 1996, they took their first trip out there and uh, looked the place over, a lot to do. And then um, in the subsequent years, there have been a number of challenges regarding uh, different government rules and regulations, uh, bird studies, uh, pinniped concerns, uh, the, the interaction between the, uh, the not so much people because we're 70 feet above them on the caisson, but uh, this, the helicopter noise and, and that type of thing. And then later on, the FAA was concerned with uh, the size of the uh, a caisson that we'd be allowed to land there. And that took uh, several years to get that squared away where they would give us a permit to uh, land out there. And then of course, COVID, and then now uh, uh, we had uh, to uh, re-up all our uh, our regulations with NOAA to, to, in order to get out. But anyway, getting back to Guy, we owe him such a debt of gratitude for what he and Alice both did to, to save this lighthouse and, and get everything started. It was his uh, life's work, and uh, not only was he a, a good friend, uh, but uh, I just really uh, look up to him and, his, and, and, uh, and honor his memory because of uh, what he's done for everyone in this country to, to save this lighthouse. Yeah, I was aware of Guy Towers for quite a few years. I'm sorry I didn't get the chance to to meet him. And he has he passed away uh, not too long ago, right? Uh, 2022. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I know he uh, he's revered, uh, I'm sure, around there for good reason. Remind me again, uh, John, when did you get involved personally? Well, uh, uh, actually, I got real involved in tw- after tw- in 2018. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But you obviously have a good knowledge of uh, things that went on in the organization uh, earlier on. And I know that in uh, the year 2000, there was a preservation effort that involved the lantern of the lighthouse. It may not be the most pleasant thing to talk about, but it's a really interesting story. Uh, Could you possibly tell us about that? Well, that raised a lot of money from what Guy told me. Um, The lantern room was essentially rotten. Uh, the the uh, stays that uh, hold the uh, glass in place and, and hold the dome were uh, wasted uh, with rust and so forth. Anyway, they they unbolted the thing and they wanted to rebuild it and they uh, they took it uh, ashore and was it the National Guard that brought it in and they flew too low and uh, it hit the beach and it uh, knocked everything from the dome down uh, to pieces. And so um, the volunteers picked up all the glass. We cut all the glass. We're, you know, we're still making souvenirs with that. It has an etched <laughs> uh, uh, image of the lighthouse on it, and underneath general uh, lighthouse glass. Every, everything from the dome down got rebuilt, and then it was brought back out there and bolted back on. 
So, uh, you know, uh, he makes lemonade out of lemons. That's what she Absolutely, does. yeah. And it, nothing could have been done at that time that would have brought more attention to the lighthouse. <laughs> you know, I mean, that was all over the national news. I remember it well when it happened. Yeah, we've got to get our, our word out more than we have. And I'm, I'm hoping that that will uh, be better with that. Uh, we're in a, you know, we're in a, a low population area. There's... It's it's very easy to drive up and down the, the road here at 101 and not even know the lighthouse exists there. So Oh sure. And Jim's gonna help us with that. So uh she's uh-huh. she's gonna help us with our outreach. Well, that's great. She's the person to do it. But um, you know, it's good to get publicity, but don't drop the lantern on the beach again. You don't need to, <laughs> to do that to get attention. Yeah. And just to be clear, it was a helicopter flying it when it was it was dropped on the beach, right? Um, it probably was a blessing in disguise because yeah. you know, the materials like that, when they get to the point that they're that that are brittle, because if someone lands on the beach like that, it's not because they didn't break because it was brittle or broke because it was it, it hit the beach hard. But but the the it probably should have been replaced anyway. The, the bottom part, so it, it probably was a blessing in disguise. But uh, Bob Bolin, uh, who uh, was instrumental in getting the lens removed from uh, St. George Reef uh, and put into the Donor Museum, wrote a check for $26,000 to pay them to bring that lantern room back out. You know, so, uh, you know, we've had partner, we've had volunteers in the past that really have stepped up and helped out. So the, the lens, as you just said, is in the Del Norte, and you pronounce it Del Norte rather than Del Norte, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Del Norte Historical Society. Jen, you mentioned earlier, I think, too. Jen, can you describe how was it displayed? I've never been there, so I haven't gotten to see that. Oh man, it is it is so worth a visit. That uh, that historical society has a huge museum in Crescent City, and uh, the lens is kind of tucked away at the back of the museum. But you kind of you enter this room, and suddenly it's just this big, just absolutely ginormous lens just sitting in the back and you can see it from both the first and the second floor so you have all these views of this beautiful beautiful lens and it's mm-hmm. in incredible condition it just they've done a really good job with the display of it there's so much great information about it out there and yeah. i mean it's it's absolutely worth a stop every time i drive through crescent city i stop at that museum to check out the lens again because it is worth it every time I wish I could have seen it. I was there and I uh, I actually walked out at low tide to Battery Point Lighthouse, mm-hmm. although it was after hours, so it was closed. There was nobody there, but I walked around it. But I, I guess I was there too late in the day to get to the Historical Society. I've got to get back to that area Absolutely. someday, I, I hope. Yeah. I, I can't tell you how much I'd love to get out to St. George Free Lighthouse, uh, but we're going to get more into the tours here. Um, but first, before I start talking about that, the light was deactivated in 1975, but uh, has it actually been relighted? It has. It's been actually relighted twice. Relighted here uh, not too long ago. Uh, I'm trying to remember when it was. Uh, I think 2019, and then it went out again because, you know, we couldn't get out there with COVID and all that. But uh, we just replaced the batteries, and it's running as we speak. The light is. Yeah, we, uh, well, I wasn't alone at the time, but uh, a gentleman, uh, in Brookings, uh, donated the uh, the lens that we have in there now, uh, in memory of his wife, who always thought that that lighthouse should have a light in it again, and it has the same signature as the original Purnell lens did, and and uh, actually uh, can be seen uh, roughly the same distance, about 20 miles. 
so we do have a light in there. Uh, and it was, you know, it's kind of a, a, a situation where it would be great if the old Fresnel lens was in there like like uh, Point Cabrillo. But it was removed mainly because people would go out there in boats and they would uh, take their guns and try to shoot the glass out of the land room. And, you know, you don't want to see a, an artifact like that get destroyed. It was, of course, before the organization was formed and, and so forth. But uh, this way, uh, by having it in the museum, people can uh, get close and personal and see it, as it should be. It's, mm-hmm. it's truly a jewel. And Bob Bolin, who I mentioned before, paid to have that annex built so that that, light, that, that uh, lens could be housed there. Oh, wow. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, usually I like to say it's nice to keep the lenses in their natural habitat, you know, in the lighthouse. But there are cases like this one where it's probably best that it went to that museum Mm -hmm. for the reasons you just said. The light is now a private aid to navigation. Is that correct? Yes, sir, it is. So let's talk about tours. The tours are by helicopter. Why are there not boat tours? I get that question a lot. And I just remind people that if three Coast Guardsmen could get killed by a rogue wave and they know what they're doing, can you imagine what would happen if you have people that do it as a advocation, of, as a as a as a hobby or whatever, running equipment out there? First of all, the infrastructure is no longer there. I mean, the the mast is rotten, the boom is gone. In fact, we we uh, it, it fallen down uh, when uh, the organization took it over. And we took pieces of it back to shore. Uh, hopefully, to display it one day, maybe at the museum outside because it's, it's huge. But. Uh, yeah, there's not an insurance company on the planet Earth that would cover that. Even if we had a winch and a, a mass and a boom and the rest of it, it's just it's just too darn dangerous. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, the the seas can be very unpredictable uh, to uh, transport people back and forth. So even if you could get an insurance company to cover us and find someone that would take a boat out there and find someone who that they would operate a winch and a boom and have the uh, infrastructure there. Uh, that was operational, it's still, it, it just really isn't a practical way to go. So when you go out there, when volunteers go out there to do any kind of work, it's by helicopter all the time, right? Yes, it is. And I'm that gets expensive, <laughs> obviously. Our Labor Day tours, our bill from the uh, helicopter company was $45,600. I'd consider that expensive, personally, <laughs> yeah. The tours, as I understand it, the helicopter tours had to be discontinued for a while. It was starting, I think, in 2012, but then were later resumed. What was the reason for that delay for a while? We had to. There were there were several times that we were uh, stopped. One of us, due to the FAA, uh, being to, to uh, approve where we were landing the helicopter for quite a while, but uh, there was some doubts about it, so we had to go through agencies in, in order to, uh, to get that squared away. We also uh, send in reports to NOAA regarding the pinniped population and so forth. There's some discrepancies there that need to be squared away as far as the reporting. That was before my time, so I, I'm, I'm not altogether clear as to what the problem was. But with anything like that, you, you, you want to make sure that you comply. And, and if there's a, a problem, you want to get it swiftly solved. 
uh, oversight in our area to, to find someone to extrapolate information off of uh, photos and, and videos and all that sort of thing. Uh, it isn't easy. You've got to find people that are qualified to do that job. And, you know, there were time, there were a couple of times that, the, that the, uh, the government wanted further studies on wildlife out there before they would want us to resume operations. Uh, early in the early 2000s, one time, uh, of course, we had the FAA over the, the land and path size, and then we had uh, uh, questions as, as far as the Pinniped uh, our, our operations, uh, how they affected the benefits, and, and they wanted to uh, get some further clarification on that. So all that takes time. You would say pinnipeds, you're talking about sea lions? Yeah, and seals. Do you have whales around near the lighthouse as well? Oh, yes, yeah. Uh, you see spouts when you're offshore um, any any given time, and, and uh, that's always fun to see. I'll bet, yeah. So uh, how often are the tours these days? Our goal is to go out there every quarter. This year, I think we'll probably be able to go out there maybe four weekends. Memorial Day weekend, it will be a three-day tour. That would be May 25th, 26th, 27th, and then June uh, 1st and 2nd, which would be the following weekend. And again, there's going to be a docent out there on Memorial Day. Yeah, I was going to get to that. First of all, before we get into that, Jen, you... Did a tour, was it last fall? You actually got out to the lighthouse on one of the tours? I sure did. Yeah, yeah. It was it was an absolute dream. They did tours last year over Labor Day weekend. And I was so lucky to get on one of the the first tours. I think it was uh, the Sunday of Labor Day. And so it was me and a couple other gals that took one helicopter ride out and then a bunch of other people throughout the rest of the day. But we were really lucky to be the first group that got out to St. George Reef that day. The helicopter ride out there was absolutely incredible. It had, I mean, we were pretty lucky. We had no wind. It was clear, clear skies. And just coming up on the lighthouse and seeing St. George Reef just sticking out of the water like that and landing on the on the pad out there was absolutely incredible. It was also my first time ever being in a helicopter. So very exciting. Oh, wow. Um, But yeah, that was definitely a big bucket list item for me was getting out to St. George Reef. And it Mm -hmm. was it was incredible. I mean, we we started out on that first level and got to walk all the way up to the top, stand out on that balcony and look out over the water. And I, I, you know, I've I've I visited a lot of lighthouses. This one was this one was pretty high up there. I cannot it's hard to describe the feeling of standing at the top of St. George and looking out at that the vastness of the ocean out towards the West. It was, it was truly incredible. And the docents out there were incredible too. They had different docents on each of the floors just to talk a little bit more about the lives of the light keepers out there and mm-hmm. all the work that they did out there. And it was, it was a very, very good tour. Very worth it. Yeah. I would love to experience for myself, but I think it's something you have to experience for yourself to really, really understand. I was thinking about, uh, you're talking about uh, Gibby, right? The the keeper who said he felt like he was approaching Dracula's castle when he saw it. I was thinking for you, it was probably more like approaching the magic kingdom when you're- That's exactly right. I'm like, this is, this is my Disneyland right here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was almost in tears as we were landing on the lighthouse. Uh-huh. As we, as we were pulling away, you know, getting back on the helicopter to fly back to land, I, I asked the helicopter pilot, I was like, do you think 
do you think we could just do one more loop? And he was like, oh, absolutely. <laughs> we circled mm -hmm. the lighthouse one more time before he took us back. To <laughs> That's great. Reminds me of the time I landed by helicopter at Graves Light in outer Boston Harbor. And the helicopter pilot on the way back said, you want to get nice views of Boston Light? And he circled around you know, just where to take me. So what, what a, I, I love flying in helicopters. It's Oh, uh, my gosh. And I asked the pilot, because um, uh, I think the mm -hmm. helicopter um, pilots that they they had for this tour over Labor Day weekend. They do a lot of these kind of scenic adventures, you know, um, mm -hmm. I think they're based out of Oregon. And I asked him, I was like, is this one of, you know, is this one of the top places? And he's like, oh, this is absolutely the best views I have ever seen. Like this is, this is an absolutely once in a lifetime experience. It never gets old. I mean, I've been out there many times. It doesn't get old. Uh, and I felt the same way about East Brooklyn Lighthouse, too, when I would go out there to work. Um, I That never got old for me either. It, it's just, I mean, you just feel like you're so fortunate to be involved with a, an organization like this. East Brothers, a beautiful place, too. A very, very different kind of place, <laughs> but uh, special in its own. I've been there, too. Special in its own right. So, Jen, uh, as uh, John mentioned, you are going to be volunteering. You're going to be a docent uh, for the tours is it just one day or is it for the whole for all those tours around memorial day how's that going to work so as far as i know i'm gonna i'm gonna be spending the night out there over memorial day weekend so uh they they fly some of us volunteers out first thing in the morning and we'll be giving tours all day long to everyone coming out on helicopter flights throughout the day and uh and then once we reach the end of the day i think we're we're spending the night out there i think john and i uh will be doing that and uh, and then um, doing it all over again the next day, you know, making sure that people get up the get up the stairs safely and learn all they can, answer all the questions, and give people an incredible experience out there. What a what a thrill for everybody involved. We're working on a uh, we're trying to work on a deal with uh, with uh, the museum uh, as part of the price of the ticket going out to uh, St. George. You will obviously get a year's membership with that, but on top of that. We're going to uh, work it out where people can also get uh, access out to a battery point and the museum. So they get to see the lens from St. George. They get to see, uh, of course, St. George. They get the, the membership. And on top of that, they get to see a very historic lighthouse battery point, which is well worth it seeing, as you both know. Good deal. And is in all the information people need uh, on the website for the Preservation Society? Indeed, yes. Yeah. You write it out as one word, St. George Reef Lighthouse.org. Dot org. Yeah. So St. meaning ST George Reef Lighthouse.org, right? S A I N T. S A I N T. Okay. I'm glad I asked. Okay. And I, I imagine you have a Facebook page as well. For a Facebook the, the, page, you, you, you can write St. George Reef Lighthouse Preservation Society and mm -hmm. we come up on Facebook. Okay. Great. Great. John, let me ask you, is there anything else in the works right now that people should know about uh, events other than the the tours? I know you don't exactly have uh, like parties at the lighthouse or anything. You know, it's hard to have events there except for the tours. But anything else in the works or preservation projects, anything like that? You know, you asked me about tours and we're going to have uh, two weekend tours um, uh, Memorial Day. We're also planning at least one weekend and possibly two weekends uh, Labor Day. Although we, other than Labor Day weekend, we haven't really worked out the dates. We may do something midsummer. Uh, we're still working on that. Uh, we need to go out there and, and get some work done. Uh, right now, we're involved with uh, cleaning the place up because it was 
uh, four-year items that we weren't able to get out there to do anything. We recently, uh, uh, in fact, sometimes Jen was out there uh, Labor Day, we brought out a consultant that uh, their company actually worked on Cape Hatteras Lighthouse or now working on Pigeon Point. He's going to give us a uh, kind of a synopsis of what he feel, feels that needs to be done uh, uh, help us prioritize, uh, write a report so that we can uh, utilize that in order to uh, raise money through grants. This is going to be a very long-term project, but we're hoping to be able to partner with not only uh, for getting grants, but we're also hoping eventually to utilize the Lighthouse for not just tours and for historical uh, lectures and that type of thing, but also to partner up with uh, different universities, classrooms, uh, people that want to do uh, nature studies, that type of thing, so that uh, they can still go out there and, and observe whales, the pinnipeds, uh, the birds, any sort of thing, uh, to uh, to make a kind of a multitask building. So it's, it's kind of like a classroom for nature out there. And you couldn't imagine a better place to be to do that. But we need to uh, we need to restore it not only the, to arrest the uh, the decline of the uh, infrastructure out there, but also to make it make it habitable for people to be able to spend a week or two out there to do uh, various and sundry uh, studies and, and work, or just to go out there and hang out and enjoy it. You know, that all sounds good to me. Uh, so I imagine you're always looking for more docents to help out with the tours and that kind of thing. Is that right? We are. And um, actually, a gentleman by the name of Brian Zimmerman, no relation to me that I know of, but he was a docent for a couple of years up at Cape Blanco, and he's going to be out of St. George with Jen and I over the uh, Memorial Day weekend. Uh, he's going to be there for two nights and three days. And uh, Jen, I, 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 you got to be out there for two nights and three days, too. I, that sounds good to me. I mean, give me seven <laughs> nights. I, I, I'll be there. <laughs> But uh, we're we're going to have uh, probably four docents. Uh, we expect to have a large crowd. Though when Jen went out uh, Labor Day, we had 121 people out there over the course wow. of three days. So uh, you know we're uh, we're looking forward to a good turnout, and then the following weekend we'll have some other docents. So uh, we're always interested in, in, in getting people lined up for that. If you're interested, you ought to sign up too. <laughs> well, it's a little bit of a commute for me, but I'd, I'd love to if I was, in, you know, in your neighborhood, but you never know who's listening, you know, so there might be people in your neck of the woods who would definitely be interested in this. And people, uh, I imagine, can also, can they donate if they want to donate to the cause through your website? Is that, is there a yes, mechanism sir. for that? Yes, mm-hmm. they can. Absolutely. We, uh, you know, we were just happy to give $5 is $5 million. So, uh uh, you know, whatever anyone can do. And our, our membership is 25 bucks a person. Uh, they get four newsletters with that, and they uh, get a, uh, the moved up at the top of the list uh, for the uh, for the tours out there because they sell out very quickly. Great. Okay, so I have one final question for both of you, and it's for bonus points, of course, so, so get ready. <laughs> and that question is, what is so special about St. George Reef Lighthouse, and who wants to take it first? I'll I'll go ahead and start. I think that there there is something so unique about these offshore lighthouses in general, but especially just landing on St. George and being able to 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 see the incredible engineering that went into building that tower. I mean, it is an absolutely incredible thing to witness. I think that, you know, I think you really do have to see it in person or at least see some up close videos and pictures to understand just how special it is, but it is it is 
it is truly the craziest lighthouse I have ever been, ever had the chance to climb up. <laughs> what Crazy in a good way. In a good, in the best possible way. I think probably most people in, in lighthouses would agree that out of all the uh, several hundred lighthouses that were built in this country, St. George is probably was the toughest one built and obviously the most expensive, but it was also uh, the toughest project that the uh, lighthouse service ever ever took on. The fact of where it's located, the view, of course, and, and, and you look at this, this castle that's been built on this obscure rock, uh, and that it has lasted uh, you know, over 130 years, and, and, and basically in, in, in as good a shape as, as any any building could be in that situation. You know, the walls are six and a half foot thick at the base. It's not going any place. It humbles you. It really humbles you to to, to be involved with a with a project like this. Uh, and as I've told people uh, maybe a number of times, and they uh, talk about the difficulty of of uh, getting uh, an organization together and, and getting this thing restored, you got to remember the people that build it have the hard job. I mean, we're dealing with something that's already been built. Yes, it's going to be a long-term project. Yes, there's a lot of hoops to go through. Yes, it's going to be expensive. But uh, compared to the people that built that lighthouse, we have it easy. And maybe the people who live there, too, as keepers for long stretches of time. Give them some credit, too. (laughs) (laughs) There are two uh, principal keepers, your head keepers, are out there over 20 years. I think one was 25, the other one was 21. To go out there and stay out there for a lot of years, that takes a special breed of person. Yeah, but it also takes a special breed of person to do what you're doing to to work for the preservation of a place like this. And I congratulate you and thank you for, for everything you're doing. It is an absolutely amazing place from afar. As I said, I was thrilled just to see it six miles away from the beach when I was out there. I hope I can get back out there. But again, uh, just thank you for everything you do. And thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Jen, for being part of this. And it's great to hear how much you love that place, too. And I'll have to get a report on uh, when you stay out there uh, in um, on Memorial Day weekend. Maybe we can do a, a live report from there. Some I don't know how good the cell signal is out there, but <laughs> I, is, it, is it pretty bad? I feel like I got pretty good cell service when I was out there, John. I don't know. We might be able to do something. <laughs> well, let's. If we can make that work. Uh, the other thing I was going to mention, uh, I wanted to mention two things. One, of course, is I wanted to plug uh, Point Cabrillo Lighthouse and that anybody gets an opportunity to go see that lighthouse, uh, the uh, tour the uh, the grounds or to, or stay there. Uh, I mean, the board and, and, and Jen and, and volunteers have done an absolute first rate job with that facility. They've just done an outstanding job, and I hope that we can do emulate them and, and the out in St. George and, and and eventually do as good a job as they have already done out out of Point Cabrillo. But the second thing I wanted to say on a personal note, I have to be one of the luckiest people alive. I've been able to to visit with lighthouse keepers uh, uh, either by uh, phone or uh, interviewing them, being able to talk to Arthur Jim uh, Jim Gibbs uh, out at. Uh, uh, when we kind of tell my clock, uh, when I was involved with East Brother, I, uh, when I got involved, I was in my mid-20s. All the uh, volunteers there were in their late 60s, 70s, and some in their early 80s, and they allowed me in their club. They allowed me to be involved with that lighthouse, and then they 
gave me the ultimate compliment by electing me to the board of directors. And uh, virtually all of them have, have gone to their reward now. But uh, uh, Walter Fanning, I really want to give a shout out to him. Uh, his grandfather, Colford, was lighthouse keeper at East Brother. And he was born at Yomo Island in 1909 and lived to almost 100 years old. Uh, he uh, he got me involved with East Brother, and uh, I've always uh, appreciated the fact that he did that. But uh, volunteers at these places, a lot of them are older people, are the reason why they have been preserved, and, and we owe them a, a great deal of gratitude, not only for their, their efforts, but for the memories that they can share with us about the history of these wonderful Sentinels. And uh, I just... I say on a personal note, I feel very fortunate. I've been very lucky that I've had some really wonderful people that have been involved with lighthouses. Beautifully said. And, you know, it just makes me think that uh, with any of these places, it's the it's the people, both historically and the volunteers and the people who are so dedicated to these places. It's the people that make them special. And the place itself is really special, but the people make it make it especially special. So I'm glad you said yeah. all that. So again, uh, Jen and John, this is great. I love talking to you about all this, and I hope we can do it again sometime. And I would, uh, I think we should keep that on the back burner. Think about maybe a, a live report from uh, from uh, the lighthouse when you're there. <laughs> we'll we'll see if we can make that happen. We'll make something yeah. happen. For <laughs> sure. right. Thank you both again. As we mentioned in the interview, you can get more information at stgeorgereeflight.org. That's S-A-I-N-T-G-E-O-R-G-E-R-E-E-F-L-I-G-H-T dot org. There's info on tours, volunteering, and making donations. I am very happy we were able to do this episode. It's something I've been wanting to do for years. Uh, you told me about your experience with St. George Reef, and you put me in touch with John John Zimmerman. So really, we're able to do this uh, interview with uh, only with your help. So thank you very much, Jen. Thank you, Jeremy. It was such a joy to speak with both you and with John, and it's always a good time. Thank you also, Jen, for being my go-to person on the West Coast. Uh, you know, if fo- things fall into place, I might actually be coming out to your neck of the woods in September. I hope so. I will keep you posted about that. I sure hope so, Jeremy. That would be so fun to have you out here at Point Cabrillo and touring along the Northern California coast again. We'd love to have you out at our vacation rentals. We'll see. I'm really, really, really hoping so. So be sure to check out uslhs.org to learn about everything the U.S. Lighthouse Society offers, including preservation grants, domestic and international tours, the research catalog, and much more. And if you're listening with Apple Podcasts, please be sure to rate and review us. I should also mention that people can learn more about your home base, Point Cabrillo Lighthouse, at pointcabrillo.org. And that's P-O-I-N-T-C-A-B-R-I-L-L-O dot org. And yep, you can find all that information right there on our website about tours and visiting hours and all that kind of stuff at pointcabrillo.org. And before we sign off, any last words for our listeners about St. George Reef? Just that I'm hoping I'll see a bunch of you guys out here on Memorial Day weekend um, touring the lighthouse. It's going to be a great experience. I would say so. It has to be one of the most spectacular tours. Uh, maybe the most spectacular tour people can do at a lighthouse that I'm mm-hmm. aware of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll be back with a new episode next week. For now, to all our regular listeners and our new ones, thanks so much for listening and keep a good light. Shine
shine, let it shine. 